Hey guys, welcome to the Behavior Tech's Anonymous podcast. I am your host, Ms. Ashley, and I'm a behavior tech. Let's reinforce some of my behaviors. Hey guys, thank you for coming to this episode of Behavior Text Anonymous. And if you were here for the last meeting, what we talked about was the updates for the BACB, um, specifically for the RBTs. And I just want to say that I think that I have spent a majority of my life these last two weeks in various RBT groups explaining these updates. Um... It is definitely going to be causing a major issue for people who want to become RBTs because almost all that I have been seeing are people saying, okay, like I've done the 40-hour training. I can't find a BCBA to help me. Like now what do I do? And the only answer that we can give them now at this point is that they need to make sure that they are working at a company that the BCBA also works at and that the BCBA is able to sign off on their initial competency for them because that is what is going to be required now, like starting this year, starting January 1st. Um, And a lot of them feel like they have kind of been like tricked into doing the 40-hour training. And for the people who are brand new and they don't really know about the BACB or like the RBT process in general, it can feel a little daunting. So now that we have this extra step in place where they have to be at the same company, I think that it's just going to be very confusing for a lot of people for a very long time. And I think that also maybe the BACB is partly to blame for that because yes, they put out their updates on the actual website and on their like podcast. But if you're brand new to the world of ABA, you might not even know that the BACB even exists. I know that I didn't when I first started out, and even now, I told people who have been RBTs for a long time, and they're just like, what are you talking about? What updates? And, you know, there are people who are going to be like, well, you know, you should be checking the BACB. You should be checking on your thing. Nobody does that. Nobody is constantly checking the BACB website for little things until their competency comes up. I mean, let's just be real. The only reason that I know about it is because I'm doing this podcast and I'm just trying to be more vigilant about like knowing the information. That is the literal only reason. If I wasn't doing this, then I probably would have no idea. And that like, it's not just RBTs, like it's BCBAs too. Like no one is just like living for the BACB website. So I think that maybe that they needed to send out, I I don't want to say like a mass email, but maybe like a mass email or do a little bit more like marketing about it to like get the information out there or something. So anyway, if you guys know of any um, people who would like to become RBTs and they need to learn about this new process, you can go ahead and you can send this to them um, or, you know, have them message me or you guys can message me, whatever. But anyway, today I kind of want to go over just very briefly about what it's like to work in an autism clinic and kind of go over like my experiences in there. And the new updates are a good transition into working in the clinic because I have always recommended that people who are new to the field start off in a clinic. Number one, if you don't already have your certification, there are clinics out there 
that will pay for you to get that certification and you don't even have to like worry about it. So they have, you know, like their own 40 hour training that you can do. The BACBs are right there They're on staff. They're available in the building. Um, I know personally the clinic that I worked at, which I have now learned is kind of an anomaly. Um, they had like, you know, they had their own training and then they mixed in a little bit of like the hands-on learning with the um, training videos and stuff, the actual like 40-hour trainings. And that's how I learned how to be an RBT is through that. And with that training came the ability to get that hands-on experience and to kind of get to already know like the clients that were there, the other RBTs, the other um, BCBAs, and just like how the clinic runs and how it looks. And, you know, you got to see like other new hires that came in or like um, when I first started, they were like, okay, like this is, um, I'm not going to use her real name. I'm going to call her Lindsay. They said, Hey, this is Lindsay. She just passed, um, her registration exam. Um, if you have any questions, she might be a great person to talk to. And, you know, she was, and it was just nice to be able to like have those conversations and like talk to them and stuff. And, um, in other settings, you don't really get that. Like in school, I worked with like one or two other RBTs, but I never really got to see them. And we all already had our certifications and that was kind of not a requirement, but it was highly recommended because they didn't have like their own 40 hour training. So you would have had to gone through like the autism partnership foundation and stuff like that, which is fine. It's just not recommended by me. It's not recommended by me. I feel like I'm I'm a person that I can't just sit there and watch the videos and then learn something because my mind will drift. I'm a very hands-on learner. I'm really good at learning by failing. And um, the clinic was a great setting for that for me because, you know, I would mess up or another RBT would mess up and then like a BCBA would be right there ready um, to provide like decent feedback and how to like fix things. And the people aspect of working in the clinic is honestly like the best part of it. And you might be thinking, no, I hate people, girl. I hate people too. I can't, I can't stand it. I'm so bad at customer service, but having people around that know what you're going through and have the same kind of experiences that you do and can offer just even just like a pat on the shoulder, like they're there, buddy, like it's going to be fine. That can go a long way. And you don't really get that in any other setting. And it just really is nice to be able to bounce ideas off one another because you and another tech could have like the same client and you could just be like, hey, I noticed that when he's with you, he seems to be like a lot happier and more easily like to comply. Like, do we just need to like pair better or like what's going on? Like, what is he like? What am I missing? And they could give you like some ideas that maybe you haven't thought of or uh, maybe your BCBA like didn't catch like, oh, well, you know, I like to make like duck noises every time he gets something right. And he really likes that. It's like, oh, OK. And that would just be like the most like small thing. But that's the thing that like makes it work. It's just like little things like that. And they really do make a difference, especially when you're new and kind of like learning how to do everything. It's just um, I think like the safest environment for that. It's also the safest environment if you have a child who is very aggressive 
or I shouldn't say child. I'm sorry. I'm used to working with children. So if you have older clients, I do apologize. Anyway, um, working with a client who is aggressive just because there is going to be more people around and it's safer for you and that client because then if something were to happen, like hopefully someone would be able to come in and like provide like backup for you or, you know, just to, like be a witness as to like what happened because um, I've been beaten up pretty bad <laughs> in, in all the settings, to be honest with you. And the place where I felt the safest was like in the clinic. There's more people, you know, the cameras were there to like catch everything. Um, and why is that important? It can be very alarming for parents or caregivers to hear that their loved one, that their person was like engaging in these like high maladaptive behaviors, even if it's normal and it happens like every day, it's still alarming. It's still very stressful. And, you know, sometimes that requires some kind of physical intervention, whether that is, you know, like clearing the room and having like you like just block with your body or, you know, sometimes it requires like a restraint, like a safety restraint to get them to be safe for themselves and for other people. And having like the cameras and the other people around just provide like eyewitness accounts for them, for you, um, just so like if there's any questions about like what happened or why did it get this way, people are able to review the footage to be able to get a better idea as to what happened and how to like prevent it in the future. And I've also seen situations where an RBT was accused of unnecessarily restraining a client. The caregiver had said that, that they only got to be restrained when they were with this one specific RBT and that it wasn't right and just you know, tore them up. So they had to like review the cameras and they had to go through all this questioning with the RBT, with other RBTs, because the parents were throwing out terms like abuse. And that's not, um, it's not very good. It's not very good at all. But like the cameras that were being there and the fact that there was three other RBTs there that are there all the time. And they were able to like witness these incidents happening we're able to like clear that up for the parents and it's not on the parents for being scared that that's what was happening because they were correct. The behaviors only happened when they were with this specific RBT. However, this RBT was placing the appropriate demands on them, whereas the only other RBT that they were with was brand new. So in order to avoid those big behaviors, they would just give in to the behaviors and just let them have whatever they wanted. So, of course, the client was going to get upset and freak out every time. Now, unfortunately, their freak out was to punch and kick and bite and draw blood. Um, but, you know, they figured it out. But really, it could have gone in any direction if the cameras hadn't been there and if there hadn't been any eyewitness accounts because the data would have shown that that's what happened with that only specific RBT. And when I first started, I hated being watched all the time. I hated it. It made me feel so uncomfortable because I was like, I just keep messing up. And then all these people are seeing me. I had it in my head that they were like watching me on the cameras and like judging me. And I, you know what? They still could be. They still could have been doing that. But I know for a fact that I would rather have the cameras there than not have them at all. And also, we also need to like understand that these are people's family members that we are working with. So when they are concerned about abuse, 
possible abuse um, or if something they think that something fishy is going on, it's fully appropriate for them to like bring up these questions and try to like get some answers for it. There will also maybe be instances where the parents just don't like you and they will try to do things or say things to get you off of the child's case. And, and it's just like really stressful when it's just like you versus them. So, and that's kind of like why I don't like in home very much. I feel like I'm at like the family's mercy if something does go wrong and I just get so scared. Like my paranoia just does not make me a very therapeutic RBT. But anyway, back to the clinic. So, you know, you have the other people to learn off of. You have the safety of um, security cameras and eyewitness accounts. But you also have access to materials. Ugh, I love all the materials that were in the clinic. My, my clinic was packed. It had so many cool things. It had, like, little, like, play mat things and climbing things and games. And it was just so nice. Oh, my gosh. I keep hearing about all these other RBTs that have to, like, buy stuff for their clients. Like, no. No. I, I again, was very privileged to be working at this clinic. And I did not realize how privileged I was. I thought that that's how all clinics were run, and it is very much not. So when you are looking for a clinic, keep an eye out for that. Like, definitely go in and tour first before you're like, oh, I'm just going to work here. It's going to be great. No, go in and see, like... And look at, like, look at the RBT's faces. Like, are they happy? Do they look like they're having a good time? Do they look like they're doing their jobs? Because unhappy RBTs don't really do their jobs effectively. They just want to get in and get out. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to get in and get out. We want to enjoy ourselves at work. We want to have a good time. And we want to actually make some changes for these kids. So look at them. Like, are they smiling? Are they happy? How do the clients look? Like, do they look like they are engaged? Do they look like they are the age group that you are looking to work for? Because, you know, some some clinics are just for like 12 and up. Some of them are, you know, just for teenagers. Some of them are for adults. Um, my clinic was for kids 12 and under. And that's good because if it had been any older, I don't think I would have been able to handle it. And I don't know why. I just don't really have it in me for the older population. And that's kind of what's also cool about a clinic is that you can have like so much different like diversity in ages and also in like client level variability. You know, you'll have your low level clients and your high level clients. Um, and what I mean by that is like behavior. So like High level for me means like super aggressive, um, the biters, the ones that make you bleed, the ones, the elopers. Oh, they're so fast. Um, and then like low level is like, you know, they need help with like building skills and like sharing and stuff. And in a clinic, like I had both. Uh, that's where I learned that I really liked the high level behaviors. I liked de-escalation. I liked working with them and all that. And, you know, working on skills and stuff, like, that was, like, a nice breather for in-between. But I definitely would lose interest in it. Not the client themselves, but, like, doing the actual skill acquisition stuff for them. I was good at it, and I know that it helped, like, a lot of clients and stuff. I just like the bigger explosive behaviors. It's more exciting. It's more fun. I get more satisfaction when I was able to um, de-escalate appropriately. And I think that I just like saw the change like more like, you know, when you get hit like two times less than you normally do 
or they just like suddenly decide that they don't want to bite you anymore that that made me want to be like an rbt want me to be better and it's kind of just like what kept me going and thriving and and i really really wouldn't have ever known that that was even possible that that's something that i liked until i worked in the clinic you know like if i hadn't have worked in the clinic if i had started out in home i think that i would have been extremely overwhelmed because you know I had no idea what to do when my first clients started coming at me, when they started attacking me. They don't even really go over verbal de-escalation or any really kind of de-escalation in the RBT training. They go through like behavior momentum and you can use that to kind of de-escalate, but it's not the same as when they're really coming at you, when they're really, really just wanting to hurt you or hurt themselves or hurt others. Um, and it's scary when it happens. Even now, it's still scary. Even though I know what to do, and right now it's kind of like muscle memory for a lot of the clients that I have, is just kind of like guiding them through. But uh, the first couple times, like I was genuinely worried. Like I was scared. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what I did. I didn't know how to stop it. And in the clinic, I was so lucky to have like the you know an RBT who had worked with that client before was there was able to help me. I had some interns that were training to be BCBAs that were there to help me. And I had like the BCBA and the clinical director there all just like available and ready to go. And that's not even like just with the behavior. It's everything that comes after, you know, like, cause there's paperwork if you had to like put your hands on them and then, and then, you know, like debriefing with the parents, like, Hey, like this happened. This is what we did, and we believe that this is what caused the behavior. All those people are there to support you, whereas in school and in home, a lot of the times it's just like you versus the world, and it's super overwhelming. I, again, I know I keep saying it, but I would not have been able to be where I am now if I had started in any other setting except for in a clinic. Also, in a clinic, I was able to acquire like 40 hours or very close to 40 hours every single week. And again, you have to find the good clinics that do this. Not all of them do it, and I'm not saying that they're bad because they do it, but it is easier to live off an RBT job if you can find the clinic that will allow you to have, like, they called it admin time, which is basically, you know, you just do, like, office work when you don't have a client in order to help you get that, like, 39 to 40 hour weeks. And if you are new and you're like, what do you mean 40-hour weeks? A lot of places only pay you while you are physically working with a client. And that's because they are just paying you like through insurance. So basically the insurance company is paying for you. Whereas the clinic that I worked at paid you like through the company. Like when insurance wouldn't like cover certain things. Like there was like a budget for it at the time. And again, this was before, this was pre-COVID. Not much before COVID, but it was pre-COVID when they were doing this. I'm not 100% sure if they are still doing this. I just know that if they're not, then they need to keep doing it because it was really nice. And I know it saved like a lot of people, especially when like clients cancel and stuff. I always hated that when I got all the way to the clinic and I had to drive like 45 minutes there. So I would get all the way there and then my client would cancel and I was like, "Mm, okay. So then I have like this random four hour gap in my day and they would be like, okay, well, do you want to go home or do you want to try to do some admin stuff? And I'd be like, well, I guess I'll do admin stuff since I'm already here. And kind of during that time too, like if a, another RBT like 
called off or stuff. Like I would be able to like just basically call dibs before anybody else and be able to take that client, which was nice for my bank account. Um, and I didn't get paid any differently when I was doing admin stuff versus when I was doing stuff with the client. And I know that a lot of places do pay you differently. I think it's like, I think they make it like a $2 difference. So if you make like, let's say you make like $12 an hour working with a client, you would make, I don't know, like $10 an hour just doing like other things, you know, it's not ideal, but it's better than, you know, just like losing out because I see people in these groups and I talk to people where they work like they're like, oh, well, these last, this last week I only worked for like five hours, so my paycheck's going to be nothing. And I'm like, what, dude, how do you live? You know what I mean? Like I get a salary right now, so it's, you know, get guaranteed pay every two weeks. But I can't imagine just being like, well, I only got five hours, so good luck. Like I don't understand how people survive on that. So maybe if someone could just message me and tell me, how they survive on that while living alone, I would be very grateful because I don't understand. I would never be able to like live and work that way. It just sounds awful. It sounds so stressful, which I guess is something that kind of like sucks about a clinic is that that kind of stuff can happen where like, so let's just say like for the vast majority of clinics that they don't offer you admin time or any kind of like cancellation reimbursement or anything like that, you're just out of luck. You're just struggling you better start doing doordash because i i don't know how else you're gonna make ends meet i also kind of recommend shopping around when you're looking for clinics um not only because of that but because like some of them won't offer rbts any kind of insurance or benefits or anything if they work under a certain amount of hours but you also don't have any control over like that amount of hours because if like a client cancels or there's just not enough hours to give to you and they're giving hours to like other people, it's just not going to work out. And the same can be said for like the in-home stuff too, but I've seen it mostly in clinics where they're just like, mm, it's a technicality, sorry. And then again, like you're out of luck or if you have kids, God forbid, if you have dependents, I can't imagine. I'm so sorry. I just can't. Anyway, um, another kind of bad thing about working in a clinic is while having other people around can be very helpful, it also can be very annoying and stressful because they are kind of watching you. And whether they're doing it maliciously or not, it's still happening. And, you know, when your client's like used to like seeing them or working with like a different um, RBT, they too tend to like gravitate towards them because they know them and they're paired with them and they want to work with them. And it can just make you feel kind of bad when you really just want to like pair with this kid and work with them and do like a good job. And they just don't want anything to do with you because they went their preferred person. It's just awkward. You just feel bad about yourself. <laughs> and then you have to like see it and you're like, Oh, okay. Which then can also kind of tie into like the clinic drama. You know, everyone's always stuck in one place and then it just turns into like typical like workplace drama and it's just dumb. It's just dumb, like predictable stuff. You can find that anywhere though, like not even like in the ABA field, just like in general. It can also be annoying when there are like clinic staff who don't do ABA, like they're not RBTs. They're basically just like the office workers who don't really know ABA, but they still try to tell you about ABA like they know ABA. It's very frustrating when it happens because um, I've seen like operation manager people come in and like make a suggestion about a client like to a BCBA and the BCBA is just like, 
no, don't talk to me like that. And then you're sitting there and like, you know, you're the RBT and you're just like pretending to make a snake out of Play-Doh. Like everything's fine. And meanwhile, there's like a dispute happening. Um, it's happened a lot. It's I've seen it more than once. People have reported it more than once. It's crazy. I think that they mean well. I think that they just think that they know more than they do. And they just do not know that much. Which just overall makes everybody feel uncomfortable. But really, other than that, just like being around people 24-7 and kind of having to deal with those little intricacies of stuff, working in a clinic is not that bad. Um, I mean, it can be bad if you have like a bad, um, what is it called? A bad relationship with a BCBA or another RBT and stuff. Like it can make you uncomfortable, but that again can happen anywhere you go. So if you're like, "Mm, I don't know, should I join ABA or not? Like, I don't know if I want to be an RBT, start off in a clinic, see how you like it. If you don't like that one specific clinic because of the people or how the policies or how they do things, I would suggest switching to a different clinic before trying out a different setting, especially if you're not comfortable doing all of the basic behavior stuff that are on the RBT task list. Um, The only other thing I can even say is that Sometimes clinics are open like really late at night. Like the latest one I've ever heard was like nine o'clock at night. And there is no way that I am working until 9 p.m. I don't care who it is. I don't care what's happening. That is one of my boundaries that I'm sticking to. I I just will not work until 9 p.m. Or really time after like 6.30. I feel like after 6.30, that's my time. And I just don't want to deal with it. And it just being like work in general. Love being an RBT, love what I do, love helping. Um, I'm not doing anything after 6.30. But um, that's pretty much it for like the basics of working in a clinic and maybe like trying to find like a decent clinic to work at. Again, shop around, see what you see, ask other people. Um, I see people in Facebook groups asking all the time about like what clinics in specific areas are good or about like specific companies. I think that's great. Um, Look it up, definitely, like, message people on um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a great place to find people who work at, like, many different clinics in uh, many different areas. But if you have any other questions or anything, um, please feel free to reach out to me at my email at hello at behaviortextanonymous.com. Again, that's hello, H-E-L-L-O, behaviortextanonymous.com. Or on the Behavior Text Anonymous Instagram page where I post some nice funny memes and stuff like that. So to close out, we are going to be reading 1.11 of the RBT Ethics Code. And it says, Because the exchange of gifts can lead to conflicts of interest and multiple relationships, RBTs do not give gifts to or accept gifts from clients, stakeholders, or supervisors with a monetary value of more than 10 U.S. dollars or the equivalent purchasing power in any other currency. A gift is acceptable if it functions as an occasional expression of gratitude and does not in financial benefit to the recipient. Instances of giving or accepting ongoing or cumulative gifts may rise to the level of a violation of this standard if the gifts become a regularly expected source of income or value to the recipient. If an employer has a strict policy regarding gift exchange, example, prohibiting gift exchange, RBTs follow that policy.
um, this is fun because one time a parent came in and they gifted me and another RBT uh, gift cards, $10 gift cards in a card, in an envelope. And one of the other RBTs opened it and was like, oh no, this goes against our standards. So I'm going to open up your card too and I'm going to give it to the clinical director. <laughs> and then the clinical director awkwardly gave it to the back to the parent with both open cards and I did not know that even happened I did not receive my card or anything like that because um, at the time it was no gifts allowed but now $10 gifts are allowed and I think about that a lot I think about the $10 gift card I never got it really bothers me anyway all right, you guys, I will see you for the next meeting of Behavior Text Anonymous in two Tuesdays. So that will be January 30th. I hope that you guys have a really nice time until then. Again, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Until then, I will see you guys at the next meeting. Stay safe, stay warm because it's really cold here. And uh, go have fun with some behaviors. Bye.